Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. This is The Bandwagon, a podcast about baseball, optimism, enthusiasm, and the wishful thinking that often accompanies opening day. I'm Hannah Kaiser, a baseball writer at Yahoo Sports, joined, I was going to say, as always, but this is the first time we're doing it, so I will instead say uh, in forthcoming perpetuity, joined in forthcoming perpetuity by Zach Kreiser, also a writer at Yahoo Sports. Zach, we have a podcast. Hello. Yeah, I moved out of the peanut gallery of the video show, (laughs) and now I'm on the regular microphone. I know. I was always talking to you, but now you will also be talking to me. Yeah, people can hear me more than just in the background. We um, always talk about baseball with each other anyway. And so we figured that, you know, 2023, not too late to start our own podcast. We would let people in on us talking to each other about baseball. Uh, It's called The Bandwagon, which is the same name as the video series that was we had for a few years in there and it's pretty much the same kind of mission statement this is going to be a lot more in depth a lot more um real i guess bandwagon was a little bit <laughs> fantastic bandwagon was wishful thinking this is also going to be wishful Actually, thinking today this, is gonna this be wishful episode thinking. in particular um but this this we're going to try to sort of bring that same um that same ethos and that same sort of like perspective on the game which is both uh trying to celebrate what we enjoy about it without giving too much credulity to things that we think deserve a skeptical lens. Uh, That is how I would phrase our mission statement. How would you phrase it? I think that's about right. I think it's enthusiasm with some reason behind it. And uh, that's that's certainly uh, my background is more in the nerd side of the game. Your background is in reporting and having deeper thoughts about the game. And I think together we end up in a in an interesting place where we can find the the fun parts in a lot of what happens in baseball. So, um, but go. but this past week we've both been reporting. I'm currently still in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, at the Cactus League in the lovely Marriott hotel of my choosing. Um, and you were here for a little while. You left a few days ago, um, other than the food, which I guess we could discuss, but is not strictly the purview of this podcast. But we did often discuss while you were here. Was there a particular takeaway you had from your first spring training on the ground? Yeah, we can do a whole bandwagon bonus episode on the restaurants <laughs> of Phoenix if you want. But uh, I, I think it was just interesting. I loved getting to spring training for the camps, you know, the games are nice. The game, the games are, uh, especially if you're sitting out on a berm and it's 75 degrees and sunny, as it was for a lot of the time I was in Phoenix. But getting into the camps and just hanging out at batting practice while players are milling about and coaches are milling about, it, it really does give you a level of just getting to know people and seeing what the people that you see on your TV screen are actually like that is really hard to match even at parks in season. Uh, it's just a... A more relaxed environment and i uh, i can get down with that more spring training yeah uh our our podcast producer asked us if we had gone to any games and i was like surely i've gone to some games and then i was thinking about it and i was like i didn't actually st- 
day, though. For instance, yesterday I went to see Jacob deGrom make his first start on the main field. I saw him make a minor league start, make his first start on the main field against the Mariners. I was very excited about Jacob deGrom versus Julio Rodriguez. And then I left when Jacob deGrom did in the third inning. <laughs> yeah, there's um, always a moment on spring TV broadcast where they show like the starting pitcher and a couple of the really good players like walking down the foul line with their bags to go out of the stadium. That's me just with like a backpack with a computer yep. in it instead yep. of a bag of balls. Just like, all right, I'm going to go take myself to one of the uh, trendy industrial Phoenix cafes where I can sit and transcribe whatever it is that I was just talking to people about. We did also uh, go to a WBC game together. We, we did. saw one of the earliest. We're in the wrong place. Okay. I, I have to I have to come clean. We did not go to Miami. <laughs> I did. We both did Florida spring training first and then um, Arizona spring training second, which is a perfectly fine order. Generally, less of a good order this year because the Miami pools seemed very exciting and um, plenty of the baseball in Arizona was very exciting. I have not great things to say about the ballpark, which I was attending for my very first time. Um and yeah, it kind of it kind of kind of affected the overall experience. But we did we did go to one game. We went to a Team USA Great, Great Britain. Britain. Yes, yeah. one of the earliest games. What this was think? really the problem. We needed yeah the the energy level. We we saw a bit of the Team Mexico versus Team Colombia game at Chase Field, and that was the vibe that everyone is celebrating with the WBC, which is. Just, you know, noisemakers, people living and dying on every pitch, a lot of crowd interaction. And the Team USA Great Britain game was just sort of fine. It was like a a little bit of electricity when Great Britain was in it. And then it went downhill when it became clear that the thing that was supposed to happen was happening. Uh, but yes, the Miami WBC rounds with Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, those looked absurd and uh, that would have been very fun, but we did not go to those. We were we were <laughs> at the kind of inevitability series of Team USA yes. starting slow and then eventually steamrolling everyone. Very much so. In fact, I found myself um, watching the Puerto Rico Dominican Republic game that went the surprising way Puerto Rico prevailed uh, at a at a restaurant and then I finished it up at Chase Field, but I was at dinner and I was watching it somewhere. It was on TV and other people were watching it on TV. And I, I found myself so much more invested in it from that perspective than I was watching these much more predictable games, even in person. So I think it's been a little bit of like a, it really comes down to the game. Like that game, well, it's not going to be remembered for how incredible the game was, but that was a really good game. That Puerto Rico Dominican <laughs> Republic yeah. game is kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of a shame. I feel like the WBC has become baseball Twitter's favorite thing to have very strongly held opinions on, and I think in some ways this is going to be a hot take that that is to its detriment. Hear me out. I think people having very strong opinions on the actual WBC itself is very, the baseball play is very good. I think that the conversation has gotten really flattened and um, a little bit straw manny in a way that does a disservice to the fact that like this is like there's a lot of people making this argument that is like the WBC is so much more fun than spring training. How could you say otherwise? And it's like nobody is saying otherwise. They serve <laughs> completely different purposes. What that is the that is a a a straw man of the discussion that is like is now the right time to have the WBC like there's some there's sort of more nuanced conversations that we could be having about the WBC that I think um sort of like take as a starting point that like yeah of course it's 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 incredibly entertaining it is a it is a product that is designed to be entertaining and it is especially to people who like baseball <laughs> like there's a lot of people i think who are acting sort of um strangely smug about the fact that they find this entertainment product to be entertaining and it's like yeah of course it's entertaining that we should still be allowed to have these more like high level conversations around like yeah, maximizing it yeah we, maximizing how do we it, maximize yes. the wbc every conversation about the wbc even down to like pitching decisions 
has turned into should the WBC exist? And it's like, well, right. no, 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 that's not what we were talking about. Uh, it just becomes a very singular tug of war when it doesn't need to be. Everyone can agree the WBC is good. It should exist. How do we make it the best product? And also, it doesn't need to be compared to other things. The whole point is it's exactly. kind of just a different thing. It's not a good comparison for regular season baseball. It's really not a good comparison for spring training baseball. And we don't need it to compare. We just, how do we have this event in a way that fosters the most entertainment and the best product? Uh, but you really can't talk about that. You can't even really talk about the actual games because it just turns into kind of a constant uh, battle about whether the WBC is capital G good, which it is, it is. But do we want to talk about the reasons that this latest firestorm is the way it is, which... Uh, Edwin Diaz and Jose Altuve, the Mets closer and the Astros second baseman, uh, were injured in the WBC. Edwin Diaz, uh, his appears to be the most serious and a knee injury that is likely going to end his season. Jose Altuve fractured his thumb and is, uh, I think the timeline on him is probably about two months, but not for sure there. Let's talk about the Edwin Diaz one, which for some reason I feel like stirred up a lot more sentiment than the Jose Altuve one, perhaps because the Astros in a way feel inevitable and the Mets in a way feel like inevitable to somehow collapse even though they shouldn't this felt uh, inevitable even right though exactly it, the, yeah. the Mets feel much more precarious and thus Edwin Diaz's injury feels more of a blow also it just literally is he's he's likely to be out for longer I, first of all I think we should say that people who are like don't be mad at the WBC because Edwin Diaz is injured again perfectly fine take Edwin Diaz himself for all we know might be a little bit mad that um, he he partook in specifically the way that he did, which is like jumping up and down. No, people get hurt celebrating significantly. Every time they do, we're always like, this is absurd. How could you get hurt celebrating? And they did the, that. The guy sometimes. who might replace Edwin Diaz, David <laughs> yes. Robertson, missed time last postseason from celebrating. It it yes. happens. People should be a little bit a little bit careful about how they celebrate. The Edwin Diaz injury felt tragic to me. I mean, partially just like the actual sort of like visual cinematic way in which it played out the incredible unpredictable unlikely victory of puerto rico over the dominican with him on the mound the celebration his brother alexis diaz openly weeping when he was hurt and, and having to be um almost equally carried off the field by his teammates it felt very tragic in a way that i think sh we should to bring it back to the conversation we were having about the WBC, in some ways should be allowed to stand alone without being a commentary on the WBC. That's how I view it, at least, I think. I, I think it's a little bit like, would Edwin Diaz have gotten hurt if he wasn't participating in the WBC? Possibly. But Edwin Diaz might not have gotten hurt if like a bird flapped its wings over in Asia. Like, there's a lot of sort of like, every time someone gets hurt, it's like, yeah, the, the circumstances that led to them getting hurt, if those exact circumstances didn't take place, perhaps they would not have gotten hurt. And that would be better for this forward-looking version of their career but I think that in some ways that does a disservice to the fact that like I don't know like it's a, it's a I don't know I wish we could just wallow that's how I feel about Edwin Diaz getting it right like I'm glad that he participated in the WBC even though it led to him getting hurt I wish he didn't if it that would have prevented him from getting hurt but then that we can't go back and live in that world anyway and so it's a high point prior to the injury is perhaps a small moral victory for him in his own heart. I don't know. He he cared enough to be jumping up and down about right. the game that he sealed. So I think there's just an element of it that this is baseball in 2023. He was partaking in baseball in 2023. He was doing it very well, as he usually does. And then he had a fluke injury that's going to wipe out his Mets season. Uh, which I'm sure sucks for him more than anyone else. And uh, then also is not fun for the Mets fans who don't get his trumpet entrance this year and everything like that. But, uh, you know, I think it is a big competition that the players wanted to play in. And we just have to accept that whenever there is baseball being played on the field, there is the risk of injury. And sometimes even when the baseball is done being played on the field and they are doing things such as jumping or walking, there is also risk for injury. And this is just a particularly 
cinematically bad injury. Right. A poignant one. In fact, I haven't seen anyone have this taken. I do not. But someone could that if he was worse at baseball and had blown that lead and wasn't celebrating, he wouldn't be hurt. But I actually I was thinking about it. I think in some ways Edwin Diaz is one of the more interestingly poignant figures who could have sort of risen to like national discourse via the WBC just because I think his um, career arc is so interesting and because he was sort of um, on this in this liminal space between becoming such a incredibly recognized successful phenomenon and the like embodying that you know what I'm saying? Like literally he got the contract this past offseason is what I'm saying. That was a very long-winded way of saying he had an incredible year and then the Mets paid him for it. And I was very much looking forward to watching him enjoy being the best closer in baseball from, from day one. Um, Should we talk about other things we are looking forward to watching? Yes. Segway. Yes. Wow. Segway. I didn't I didn't even do that on purpose. You did a you did an excellent job. I just naturally segue and then you you pick up on it. All right. So we're not going to do this. We're going to do something different sort of every week. We're going to have this main segment. Um, in future weeks, we'll explain what it'll be in a more uh, like ongoing basis. But because this is one, our very first podcast, and two, opening day is quite soon. We're going to do something a little bit different from the thing that hasn't happened yet, which is how we will normally do it, which is we are going to do the 2023 MLB narrative draft. Zach, this was your idea, so I'm going to let you explain it, even though... I uh, I think I understand it. I drafted things. <laughs> I hope you I hope understand I do. it. I hope I yeah. do. <laughs> we're we're doing it, so I hope you understand it. Uh, the idea here is every season you go in, and you know we can make predictions. We can make kind of projections. Literally, we can just have projection systems tell us what is most likely to happen. But the things we end up remembering from a season are the things that weren't very likely to happen, but they did anyway. And that's why we remember them, is that they popped out. They became a huge league-wide story. Uh, and so that's really what we're talking about here. We are talking about stories. It could be a moment. It could be a series of games that takes on huge importance. It could be a transaction. It could be a, a season-long result. The thing that we will remember, and these are by design, sort of skeptical. Uh, they are speculative fiction. They are speculative fiction that are within the realm of reality, but aren't likely to happen. As you will hear at some point when I make a pick, I am not predicting this will happen. It would be really weird if it happened, but that's the point. We want to see crazy, interesting things happen. And so what we're doing is we are drafting. Uh, we made a big pool of things that we would like to see happen. And Hannah and I are going to draft from them a uh, hat tip to the Solid Verbal College Football Podcast for this particular format that I totally stole from them. So uh, that is what we're going to do. And uh, we're going to kind of get to gauge exactly what we are the most interested in by doing this, I think. I'm very excited about this. I loved this idea when you had it. I don't uh, listen to college football podcasts. So I was like, wow, brilliant idea, Zach. You are just a font of uniqueness. <laughs> um, and I... I equally enjoyed the pool of things that you put together that then I added to. It really is like, I honestly like, this is cheesy, but I encourage people to do this for themselves in some ways, which is like, think about the things that are like, you're not predicting that this will happen, but you're saying like, this could happen this year. And that will be one of my favorite moments if it does come to pass. And then it's got to be something that you can kind of see coming based on the teams, the players, the rules, the situations, um, all of that. I, I'm very curious to find out if there is any overlap in the things that we drafted. We haven't decided yet if we're going to, we, we each sort of ranked, um, at like a several handfuls. I don't really know how many a handful is, uh, of things. And we'll do three, I don't know, four five, depending on how long we take talking about we'll each of see, them. We'll see when our producer tells us it's time <laughs> to move on. Uh, or if we like overlap on all of them and we have to sort of go further down the line. We haven't I, figured out who's going to who's going to draft first. How you want to do you're, it? You're going to go first. I created the game. You go first. OK, good, because I actually think that my first one is one of the very few that we might actually overlap on. So you have to tell me if this was one of them. This was this was one that you suggested, but that as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, definitely. 
Okay, so my number one overall first draft pick in the 2023 MLB Narratives Draft is Ronald Acuna Jr. spending the final week of the season in search of 40-40, so 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases. Was that on your list before? It was on my list, but it was not number one. So I was worried. I was worried. So that was we're going to have a different number number one. one. Yes. Ronald Acuna Jr. came very close to 40, 40, 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases uh, a few years ago. And he has pretty openly said he would like to try it again. So this actually feels like one of the more realistic ones on the list. Actually, I could see this happening. Yeah, I'm actually worried that it's in some ways sort of too realistic and that we shouldn't be giving away this story idea to people who are listening because now I'm like, oh, no, I want to write about this early. The Athletic actually already did. They did an excellent article talking to um, several members of the Braves who all think that they're going to 40-40. Okay, so there's only been four guys ever to do this. Jose Canseco in 1988, Barry Bonds in 96, A-Rod in 98, and Alfonso Soriano in 2006. Um I didn't know this until I was looking into it. Ronda Cunha Jr. is literally the only active player who has gotten close, I think. Like, he's maybe... So, like, first of all, no offense to Ozzy Albies, who told The Athletic that he was also going to 40-40, but let's see if if Ronda Cunha Jr. can do it before we start getting crazy. But yeah, he is the only active player who has ever had a 35-35 season at any point in their career. You referenced this in 2019. He had 41 home runs and 37 steals with a week left in the season. And then he had a hand injury that sidelined him into the playoffs. And then a pandemic happened. And then in 2021, everybody was like, wow, look at this. He's on pace again. And then he uh, was sidelined for the whole half a season and the postseason run. And that was tragic in its own right. And then he wasn't as great last year. He was still sort of recovering from this leg injury. He wasn't running quite as much. I I do think it would be even cooler if Ozzy Albies also does it. I love baseball friends. They are very good friends. Um, and in this athletic story in which Ozzy Albies talked about how he was going to do it and Ronald Acuna Jr. was going to do it, he also talked about how Michael Harris II was going to do this as well. If either of them, if multiple of them even get close, that will also be remarkable. There have been no teams in baseball history to ever have 35-35 teammates. So there's a lot actually. I I thought this was a really interesting one because it is one sort of likely to a culmination of someone being really good and really interesting throughout their entire career. Three, a way to sort of keep track of if the running game is enhanced by the rules and four, like a, an actual ongoing storyline that will genuinely reflect a significant team and how they're doing in baseball. Like if they do, in fact, if the Braves do in fact get two guys to 35, 35, or honestly, even like a 40, 40 and a 30, 30 season in the same year, that will be incredible. That will be that what will we be are all talking deal. about in September. Um, so, yeah, that felt like a first overall draft pick to me. All right. Now I, ha- now I am done talking about that. Okay. And the, the number two pick, I am going to take a less specific thing. I am taking a hitter's pitch timer panic swing pays off. So if you think about the things you see on a baseball TV screen the most, they are kind of iconic plays. There's the uh the basket catch for Willie Mays and back in the day there's the Randy Johnson hits a bird with a pitch moment they're unforgettable they're totally weird uh one of the things that I most recall are the old intentional walk pitch where a batter gets one that's close enough to the plate and swings at it and gets a single Miguel Cabrera is the last guy I remember doing this when he was with the Marlins now I think this year we're going to introduce a new way that this can happen. Uh, And specifically, it is the hitter forgets to get in the box for the pitch timer. It runs down and they don't get the violation. So the new rules of the pitch timer, they have to be in the box and alert to the pitcher at eight seconds. So they don't get the violation. They remember to get in the box and look at the pitcher, but the pitch is basically on the way. The pitcher has decided he's going to go. And they have to jump in and just start swinging and not really think about it. And some guy is going to to do this and he's going to hit a home run or hit like a walk off double into the gap. That is what I'm looking forward to. I think there's any number of hitters who are capable of doing this. 
Uh, I think we already saw Carlos Correa briefly forgot there was a pitch timer in place during a spring training game and did this, except he the pitcher was not quite going yet, so his little shuffle back into the box didn't have any dramatic swings attached. But I'm really looking forward to the first time someone has to do this. And I think if that moment comes in a game-changing or a game-changing moment or some other big situation... Uh, that this will be on baseball highlight reels for the next 30 to 50 years. And that's a pretty big thing to remember from a season. So, I mean, I don't look, I hate to be the bearer of bad news because you're right. That does sound very fun. But are you aware that they warned Max Scherzer that he could not quick pitch before the batter was paying attention? (laughs) Quick pitch, but you can go once it's at the right time, right? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. I didn't realize that you were envisioning this being a home run. That would be truly incredible. I thought like yeah, maybe like a, like a bloop single. I'd take a bloop That'd be single. Fine too. I, I'd take but... a bloop single where the guy like looks back sheepishly at his dugout by the time he gets to first and does like a little shruggy emoji like, oh, what are you going to do? No, it'd be more fun if it's like Giancarlo Stanton panics, jumps into the box, hits a line drive to right field, and it just happens to go out because he's Giancarlo Stanton. That'd be fun. I was watching, I was rewatching several times the Cal Rally home run that sent the Mariners to the postseason last year because I was writing about that. And I didn't realize how he had like nearly fallen to a knee on that swing. So baseball players, very strong. They can mm-hmm. muscle the ball they out can of the park yeah. on, on not perfect swings. So you might you might be onto something there. I mean, yeah, that'll be very cool. I I am I am interested in all pitch timer shenanigans. I know that like it felt like we we talked about this at the start of spring training, which was like at the start of spring training, everybody was like, whoa, MLB has new rules. And we were like, oh, come on. We've been talking about this for months, if not years. And I understand that not everybody is quite as in tune to like <laughs> the rule changes that are working their way through the organizational minor league Atlantic League pipeline. Um, but then I got reinterested in them in spring training and now I'm back in on the rule changes. I'm, I My appetite for rule change conversation, I'm here for it. I want to know what kind of weird stuff is going to happen. I have some vaguely rule change related things on my list, but my my heart is saying that for my number two selection, the number three overall selection, harkening back to an earlier conversation in this podcast, Edwin Diaz returns for the World Series. Okay, that was that was not next on my list, but it was close. So, um, Edwin Diaz underwent surgery to repair the, oh gosh, I should have looked into how to pronounce this, patellar, patellar tendon in his right knee. I think the you general got that. timeline for recovery is around eight months, although in certain cases it is possible to return closer uh, to six months. Somewhere between six months and eight months would put him right in time for the World Series for a triumphant return. The Athletic had a great story about sort of the um, immediately after he got hurt, sort of immediately after everyone saw him get hurt, what happened and that there was like a lot of circumstances that really played to their advantage. So the Mets physician, Dr. James Carr, was in Miami. The Mets medical director, Dr. David Alcheck, was in Miami as well. Uh, there's a hospital for special special surgery that operates a location in South Florida. And so they were able to get the surgery for him very quickly for whatever reason that matters. I don't totally know. I'm not a doctor. Um I just, first of all, I realize that this, 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 uh, wishful thinking prediction, but would you, what would you call it? Speculative fiction. This piece of speculative mm-hmm. fiction presupposes that the Mets make the World Series, that they, uh, go deep into October without Edwin Diaz. Um, I think they can. They're still a very good baseball team. I love this. I just like, I don't have a good, I have no more smart things to say about it. I just think it would be delightful. I think. The funniest thing about this that we're not thinking of right now, but that would become true if this came true, is Mets fans think they're going to fail and blow up at every moment. So if the Mets made it all the way to the World Series without Edwin Diaz, Mets fans would no longer want Edwin Diaz to come back. That is a thing no, they would immediately do not say that about oh, someone I who know needed Mets surgery fans. on their patellar they, tendon. They would they would not want him to come back because they would think that they're going to lose the World Series because they tried to rework Edwin Diaz into the mix. I'm, I'm just telling you that is a that is All a right. thing Mets fans would think. Uh, but I agree it would be very fun. And there is a precedent for this. Somewhat recently, Kyle Schwarber came back exactly. with the Cubs uh, in 2016 after tearing his ACL in like the first week of the season. And then he, uh, maybe not, anyway, he came back uh, in the World Series and played really well. So 
yes, I think this would be extremely fun and also would stoke a lot of content. So I, I just want Mets fans to know that I do not think nearly as poorly of you. I think that you would find it in your hearts to be happy for Edwin Diaz and his speedy return to health. Uh, I do think that there would be concern. This may be what you're referencing. I think, you know what? There would be concern that they were rushing him and it was not in yep. his best interest to come back. That would be, that would give me something to talk about on SNY. <laughs> I think this would be great. And I think that be this sort of his, his, this is like a little bit what we were referencing earlier in talking about him getting hurt. His particular status, like the particular status of one closers and two, the best closer in the game who has like a theme song is made for this kind of thing. Like literally, they, like imagine if this happens, he comes back just in time for the World Series and like the the trumpets that play for the first time in over a year. I don't know if they played them in spring training, so I could be wrong about that. Uh, over a year people would lose their minds. Yeah. <laughs> people would lose their minds that moment like think about how good it was the footage of edwin diaz coming in from the bullpen to narco like and the the sort of hype that that the mets and the broadcast put behind it that was like genuinely excellent television in the regular season you put all this behind it it's gonna be good okay what's your number it would two be. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. My, my number two pick is actually somewhat similar to uh, the Acuna pick. Uh, way less realistic. I would like, I have, I have projected a player to do this, but I would like Freddie Freeman to make baseball's latest bid for a 400 batting average since Ted Williams. Uh, now, there have been several 400 chases uh, in our lifetimes. Nomar Garcia-Para and Todd Helton were the most famous the the longest one since Ted Williams actually batted 400 back in uh, 1941 belonged to George Brett, the Royals star. He went 134 games in 1980. Uh, after 134 games, he was still batting 400. Uh, and then he dipped below it and never got back there, obviously. Otherwise, we'd be talking about George Brett a lot more. But uh, Freddie Freeman, I have, I think he stands as good a chance as anyone. He's been a very frequent batting champion contender. He's a very good hitter. The He's left-handed, and to whatever small degree the shift ban helps anyone, I think it will help Freddie Freeman some. So I've picked him. I, I think if he makes it until game 135 uh, with a chance at 400... That would be September. This is how unrealistic it is. It'd be September 2nd. He'd still need to be batting 400. But if he were to pass George Brett, I don't think he's going to bat 400. But if for some reason he's going to pass this particular record, he would do it against the Braves, which is my favorite part. Okay, so this was on my short list as well. And then I started looking into it so I could have some supporting details to talk about on this podcast. And I was like... Pfft. No way is this happening. No, I it's just not could, happening. I couldn't. I couldn't buy in enough. I'm. So, I like. I know we're not predicting things, but it's not gonna happen. It's I, not gonna I don't happen. think it's gonna happen. But I don't find Babbitt flukes, which is basically what you need. You need batting average on balls in play. Babbitt is just pretty much luck. Uh, there's some element of hitting the ball on the right angles and hitting it hard, which Freddie Freeman does really well. I don't think it's out of the question that he could get a huge Babbitt fluke on top of an excellent season and make this work. Uh, I think this certainly was less on the board than a player such as, I don't know, Aaron Judge hitting 62 home runs in a season. But I don't think it's that far beyond the realm of Aaron Judge hitting 62 home runs in a season. So I... But home uh, runs are... Home, home runs, there's well, not lately with the ball, but I was gonna say, like, 
setting aside the steroid era. Home runs get three true outcomes is what I'm trying to say. Less batting average, more home runs than ever. But that's never been true for Freddie Freeman. He still hits for average. I know. I was thinking uh, about, I was thinking about like, if it, because I was sort of like, Freddie Freeman is one of 1,200 dudes who play Major League Baseball. And I realize he's Freddie Freeman. But like, is there, could I sell myself on this being like anybody or sort of like how the shift I was trying to think if there was anyone who would be especially benefited by the lack of shifts, who's also someone who already kind of bats for average. And I kind of think Corey Seager has a better shot at it than Freddie Freeman is what I'm saying. He doesn't hit for average. He hits for a little bit of average. I'm but that's what I'm saying. Google? The shift isn't going to, the shift is not <laughs> going to change it enough for Corey Seager. I don't think Corey Seager's ever hit over like 305 in a season. Okay. And you don't think that's good hitting 305? Not compared to, I'm pretty sure Freddie Freeman's hit 330 in a season before. He's hit 306, 307, and 308. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Very wow. close. Put some respect on Corey Seager's name. <laughs> um, I just think that Freddie Freeman isn't like going to hit that much more for batting average than he ever has, which is like, what, 325? I don't think he's going to either, but that's he's why this do is it. speculative fiction. <laughs> I hope it, I hope, I hope you are right. He is excellent. He is very good. He hit for 325 last year. Uh, and that is 75 points away from 400. <laughs> it is. It is. I acknowledge this. Um, I was looking into like Jeff McNeil maybe, but I actually think Jeff McNeil is like the only player in baseball who is going to be hurt by the shift because he's so good at beating it. If he didn't hit for 400 last year, it's not happening. That's fine. I accept your speculative fiction. The the last thing I'll say about the Freddie Freeman thing is the famous Ted Williams story is he was above 400 going into the final day of that season and his manager offered to let him sit and instead he played and got two more hits and raised the batting average which is extremely is Freddie what Freddie Freeman would do yes I don't know if Freddie Freeman Chris, but that's some yeah. Freddie Freeman sh- yeah he would absolutely <sighs> just play all 162 even if it wow. meant losing 400. Now I'm kind of rooting for it to happen just for that. Mm-hmm. I do want, I do want like a Freddie Freeman. Do they sit him on the last day of the season? I want actually now I want him to be approaching any sort of record on the last day of the season, just so we can force him to make that decision away from the Braves. Um, all right. So you are up. Do we want to make this the last pick, and then we can make some honorable mentions? No, I have so many left. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. I, now I have to decide. Well, I don't even know. We could, but I have to decide then which one it's going to be. You, you do have to decide which I one it's going to be. Decide. That's true. Okay. Okay. Um, this is going to be my third pick, and then we can decide later whether or not this is our last <laughs> one because our uh, podcast producer is slacking us. <laughs> I think he wants this to be our last one. Yes, this is our last one, and we will then we <laughs> will do some honorable mentions. Okay. Then we will read off the, the – we can read the ones that made our shortlist that we're not picking. Okay, I'm doing this. My third pick, my third and final pick in the 2023 MLB narrative drafts is Jacob DeGrom makes at least 25 starts. I, I like don't think that, that that's that is, unlikely. I, I like that this is so like a rare bird that we have to draft is Jacob DeGrom throwing 80% of a normal pitcher's season. I actually had it at 30 starts. You know what? 30 starts. Scratch that. There we Jacob go. DeGrom makes 30 starts. If you're saying that Freddie Freeman has 400, I'm allowed to say that Jacob <laughs> DeGrom makes 30 starts. I think that people forget that Jacob DeGrom was freakishly durable for how hard he threw prior to a couple of years ago. Between 2017 and 2019, he made at least 30 starts all those years, and I understand that he hasn't pitched 100 innings since, but first of all, one of them was the pandemic, and people lump that in. People say things like, oh, he only made, was it 38 starts his last three years with the Mets? But, but it's not his fault. I think he was healthy in 2020. Yeah, I just he think, was okay in 2020. And 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 people, people who shall remain unnamed, write about how Justin Verlander is so much more durable than Jacob deGrom when he joined the Mets. And to that, I say, Justin Verlander has also missed an entire year that was to Tommy John surgery. But like, my point is just that, like, there's a real recency bias, although I guess Justin Verlander missed it recently, too. Again, we should talk about that more. There's a (laughs) there's a real recency bias to the idea that, like, that Jacob deGrom is sort of like intrinsically 
porcelain and that he simply cannot that like you are there's a, I think even in the way that people sort of wrote about the Rangers signing him was baked in this idea of like well you simply have to accept that he will be hurt and then additionally he may also be worth it for the games that he is able to play and I I do not I reject that that premise. I reject the starting point that Jacob deGrom simply can never have another relatively healthy season. If he actually throws, if he actually pitches 30 games, are you expecting full-on 102-mile-per-hour fastball, 93-mile-per-hour slider, ERA under 1.8 Jacob deGrom? 1.8? Maybe under 2. I mean, yes, I think Jacob deGrom is a very excellent pitcher. He was an excellent pitcher when he threw complete seasons. He was an excellent pitcher. He was not this excellent. Well, I understand. But yeah, yes, yes. I think think that the implication that Jacob deGrom simply will never be both good and make 30 starts is like weirdly based on this idea that like it's almost like a it's based on like a like a Faustian understanding of like. Or like a video game, either Faustian or video I gotta game. be. I gotta say, I have no idea what that means, but I I think of him like Icarus, where he he but was extremely think... good, and yes. then he started throwing a hundred and two instead of ninety seven, and he yes. doesn't throw full seasons anymore. Okay, but he was also like last time he threw, like he he did win back to back Cy Young awards, so maybe he doesn't throw hundred and two. He could throw ninety nine. He could throw ninety nine, but he'll still have an ERA under two. He had a one point seven ERA in twenty nineteen. That's why season. I said under one point eight. But my point is just that I think you're right. I think that that is the that is the logic that people are applying to this. Is that like this man must be Icarus? That that you are necessarily trading off durability for talent, and that that is. That is how it has panned out in the last couple of years. But that is not like a a law of physics. Jacob deGrom can both be good and be durable. That does not like break physics. I will say we don't know if it's a law of physics. He might just be <laughs> the first proof that it is a law of physics. But I hope it's not a law of physics. I hope it comes true. I am concerned that we just don't. There are not starters who do this. There are not starters who throw 93 mile per hour sliders for 200 innings a year. They do not exist. They have never existed. He is trying to be the first one. I hope he does it. But I, hope he does it. I don't think we can prove it's not a law of physics. <laughs> we can we can disprove it if he does it this year. We could disprove it if he does it. Yes. Disproved. DeGrom. Uh Okay. <laughs> I am going to make a very obvious final pick. Actually, I don't know if it's obvious. I think a I lot of no people idea. want to see the opposite of this. But oh, I know. I am taking Shohei Otani is not traded, and in fact leads the Angels to the playoffs. I think a I am pretty high on the Angels' chances of competence this year against all past evidence. Uh, but I think if they're close to the playoff race on the trade deadline, which seems feasible that creates the most pressure packed final couple months in any recent memory for a single baseball team, which is this might be the last time we have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout playing together on the same team. We should probably make the playoffs now. So if they decide they're not going to trade him, they should probably trade for anything that isn't nailed down that might help get there. Because the idea is not just that we'd really like to see Shohei Otani make the playoffs with Mike Trout. The idea, I would assume for the Angels, is Otani is still going to be gauging where he wants to play in the future. And if you show him that he could win in Anaheim, I don't know if he's going to stay there, but I'm pretty sure he's leaving if they don't make the playoffs. So the, the difference that winning... Uh, one playoff spot could make is just so seismic that I want to see that pressure cooker happen. Okay. I had not thought about the narrative heft that them not trading him would add to the second half and how we will have to be at Anaheim just all the time. If that happens, I here's how my real, I know we're not making predictions, but I feel the need to say, first of all, you need to spell it out for people because I know that you have this take and you kind of buried it, but you Zach Kreiser, believe that if the Angels make the postseason, 
that Shohei Otani will return to the Angels in free agency. Do you not I, believe this? Uh, okay, you have said this to me before. You I have said, said this if they to make, me before. No, 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 no. I said if they make the World Series, oh. I believe he will return to Los Angeles. I think if As they make the playoffs and, <laughs> yeah, if they make the playoffs, I, I think at the very least it increases the chances that he remains with the Angels pretty dramatically because it shows they can at least win something. But if they make it to the World Series, yeah, I think he's coming back. Uh, now, okay, now, is that rational for him? And... No, <laughs> no, it's not. I don't. And you think you think that Shohei Otani behaves irrationally? Interesting. He I picked the Angels from, in the first place. <laughs> from a pure, they have Mike Trout. Sorry, we cannot get derailed any further. I, I, from a pure prediction standpoint, and then I'll talk about. I knew you were going to pick this one because I wrote underneath it. <laughs> my suggestion was that Shohei Otani does get traded. But I, from a pure prediction standpoint, I think you're right. I believe that Shohei Otani will not get traded. I think there are enough postseason spots. The Angels have done enough to be competent. Also, they are just obviously attempting to be competent that they, they're, they're not going to be so far out of it by the trade deadline that it makes sense to trade Shohei Otani. And certainly not given the fact that Owner Artie Moreno, who would have to sign off on something like that, has clearly doubled down on like wanting to see what this team can do again by not selling the team. So, okay, from a pure prediction standpoint, I think there's almost no chance they trade him. That actually feels like I would put money on it. They're not going to trade him. If they do, it'll be exciting, in which case we should have drafted that as a storyline. I don't think they're going to trade him. I do, however, think he's leaving. I don't think there's I just think he's he's smart. He remembers what has happened these past couple of years. There have been many years in which it looked like the Angels had the kind of talent you could you could convince yourself that they were going to go to the World Series and then they did not based on some sort of like intrinsic organizational structural flaws that are not going to be able to be changed overnight even if they're in the process of changing them. So, okay, those are my predictions. I think you're right, however, that when they don't trade him, that just, you're right. Like the last couple of months that Otani and Trout are guaranteed to be on the same team, whew, yeah, every game they lose is going to be a minor national crisis. So, yes. this was a good draft. Good draft. Do you want to run down the couple that we? Yeah. So let you. I'm going to remind you of the three that I picked, and then I'll oh. I'll go over the ones that were also on my short list. So I have Ronald Acuna Jr. spends the season's final week in search of 40, 40, 40 home runs, forty steals. Um, then I have Edwin Diaz returns for the World Series. And then I have Jacob deGrom makes at least 30 starts, which I amended in real time. I had 25 and I thought, no, 30. Okay. Those were the ones that I did pick. These are the ones that I did not pick. Um, I have Adley Rutschman versus Julio Rodriguez in Seattle with playoff implications, August 11th through 13th. I just think they're this both very like exciting. for you. I know. I think they're both very. I, 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 I have to share this statistic because I bothered to look it up in case I decided to choose this one. Adley Rutschman finished second to J Rod last year in Rookie of the Year voting. We know that they both had 5.3 Fangraphs WAR. Last time a Rookie of the Year winner had at least 5.3 Fangraphs WAR was Aaron Judge in 2017, um, and Adley Rutschman only played 113 games last year. My point is that Adley Rutschman is so good. Like genuinely, I think that we could not talk enough about how good Adley Rutschman was in his rookie season, playing a very difficult position, um, and how much people talked a lot about the difference he made just in the Orioles' overall record. And so, one, that makes me think the Orioles have a slightly greater than 3.5 chance of making the postseason, which is what Pakoda thinks. And two, I just really enjoy both of those teams. They're young, they're fun. I'm going to be, I'm excited for that series regardless. I'll go. Okay, I didn't pick that. I'm going to go faster now. Um... Joey Manessis makes the all-star team because one, the Nationals needed an all-star and two, he's actually very good. Um, and to this, I feel the need to pose a question to you, which is that if Joey Manessis is the Nationals all-star, did that rebuild fail? Probably. Um, yeah, okay. But I don't know. Maybe he's going to hit like <laughs> Babe Ruth again and it's like totally fine. I don't know. Um. And then I have, there is a pitch clock controversy about whether or not the pitch clock operator is favoring the home team with regards to when the clock starts. I only didn't pick that because I think we're genuinely going to have that to talk about at some point. And then mm -hmm. the last one that I wanted to pick but didn't was that Randy Rosarena steals second, third, and home, probably all in the same game. <laughs> My favorite thing about Randy Rosarena is that the past two years, he had 32 and 20 steals 
respectively, and both years led all of baseball in caught stealing. He's just yes, like, he yes, has... I steal a lot of bases, but I also don't steal a lot of bases. He is the master of chaos. Uh, my roster is a hitter's pitch timer panic swing pays off. Freddie Freeman makes the latest bid for 400 since Ted Williams. And Shohei Otani, not traded, leads the Angels to the playoffs. Uh, the others that uh, you didn't pick that were on my list, uh, Anthony Volpe, top Yankees prospect, uh, does a Jeter jump throw from shortstop and makes New York melt down. I think everyone is, I wrote about him, you can read it on Yahoo Sports, uh, everyone is waiting for this kid to just assume the mantle in the Bronx. And I think if he does a Jeter jump throw that can be put next to each other on video, everyone will lose their minds. And that would be fun. Uh, then I also also related to tall uh, to big shortstop prospects, except <laughs> physically big this time. I would like O'Neill Cruz, the Pirates six foot seven shortstop. And Ellie De La Cruz, the Cincinnati Reds six foot six shortstop prospect, to stand next to each other at second base. That is all. <laughs> could could Jose Altuve also be there? No, he couldn't. Yeah, I can't, I can't we'll see. Can we get Jose Altuve <laughs> in there too? That's for next year. We'll we'll get that next year. Oh, those were your only ones. Okay. Well, yeah, that I you know those were the ones that were in consideration. I think. I'm so excited about this baseball season based on all the things that we said are going to happen that are probably not going to happen. Um, and that is how I'm going to segue into talking about more things that we want to happen. Okay, so the conceit of this band, this podcast, it's called The Bandwagon. When we had a show, we were uh, primarily bandwagoning things, teams, other kinds of things. And so we're going to end all of these episodes by bandwagoning something. Um we're using that definition loosely. Uh, it'll make sense as it goes along. Every time you hear it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that is a thing that you could bandwagon. Um, generally, we're going to take turns bandwagoning things and trying to sort of sell the other person on whatever it is that we are bandwagoning that particular week. Um, again, in sort of keeping with the pod, the season preview vibe of this particular podcast, we're each going to bandwagon something and um, we are going to bandwagon something new. That was the prompt bandwagon something new zach what are next you next week yeah next week we're gonna bandwagon something old so that you know you get wow, the full spoiler. scope of baseball but this week something new and my something new that i'm bandwagoning is the high stakes high risk third pickoff move so as part of the pitch timer rules pitchers are no longer allowed to just throw pickoff throws indiscriminately uh, if they throw more than two in a single plate appearance, then the runner on base automatically gets the next base. So it basically sets up a little bit of a devil's bargain where if you want to throw over a third time, you absolutely can, but you have to get him. If you do not get the runner, he gets second. So basically you're just taking a huge risk but it has serious strategic consequences if you're not willing to throw over there at all the runner will just take second base every time so a lot of pitchers are going to show this third pickoff move if for no other reason than to prove they're willing to do it and i'm thinking of a very specific scenario which is let's say taiwan walker philly's pitcher who has one of the best pickoff moves in baseball is in a high stakes situation where ronald acuna jr famously gonna run is on first base and he's thrown over twice and ronald acuna jr's taking a huge lead i want to see that pickoff throw that is the situation that i am rooting for early in april uh, i think it will normalize and we'll get more used to everything soon but as we start the season that's what i'm bandwagoning i want these situations that put maximum stress on that particular moment because i think it's maybe the thing we have the least idea of how teams are going to handle it is that particular problem and i'm waiting to see what happens when when you told me you were gonna that you, this was your pick for bandwagoning i felt a little like you had stolen it from me because i am so interested in this i wrote about the sort of impact of the pickoff limitations this offseason it's fine it's fine you can it. i wasn't gonna do it i hadn't thought of that so i appreciate you picking it so we can talk about it but no i am also extremely interested in this this is very much the I have like this very 
ideological appreciation for the rules that is like different from debates about the implications of the rules, which is that like change is good because it forces new adaptations and it gives us all it gives all of the baseball players like a new little puzzle, a new little Rubik's Cube to sort of play with and pitchers in particular and pitchers in particular are very big on strategy and like um, this is like very much the kind of thing that guys will have different reactions to trying to strategize around. Also, just when we were at the winter meetings and talking to a lot of managers, this was the thing that came up the most that managers were saying would be the biggest change under their purview in terms of like how they advise their pitchers to handle that third pickoff attempt. Um, and so whether the strategy, whether the different strategies will sort of like coalesce amongst teams um, or amongst sort of styles of pitchers. I'm very interested. Should we give it a name? Is there a name for, cause like the, the third, the third pickoff move, the high stakes third pickoff move is mm. not a great. No, it needs a better name. I, Producer John uh, told us that his friend has come up with the danger throw, which is not bad. Uh, I would like to work something into the dash off uh, yes, that's uh, what I was thinking. Format. Right, like, like a pickoff the... or or put on. No, I don't like that, but something that, like that. That sounds weird, but uh, <laughs> the the balk off already means something else, oh. even though that is technically yeah. what this basically will be. A balk off is like a walk-off balk, so we can't use that. Um, I mean, it's basically like, so, okay, so if like if it's a game seven, then we say it's like a, you know, like a do like or a die. sudden death a pickoff. Go, sudden, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like sudden death pickoff, exactly. How would you, it's a sudden, it's a suddenly picked. <laughs> <laughs> the do or die pick off the, hmm. we're going to workshop oh, this. If I you, know. if you have if you're listening suggestions, and you're like, oh my God, you guys are circling something. If you have so suggestions, obvious, tweet it at us uh, yes. at Z Kreiser at Hannah R. Kreiser. Tweet it at us. We will, we will, uh, we will take suggestions. Yes. And we want to corner the market on giving this a name because I feel yes. like. I would love these, to coin a baseball phrase. That is your that is your life goal for years. That I and have coining known. a baseball nickname. Yes. Yes, I did know that. Yes, I, for years Zach's goal has been to to coin a baseball nickname that gets widely used. Um, and this could be your moment. Yeah. If you think of something so, better than the high please, stakes, yeah, please third, send it to us. Third, but I might claim it. You know what? Now I'm thinking about it. You kind of were sticking with the same like things that we will are looking forward to seeing you were just picking another narrative of what you were really kind doing of. kind of i bandwagoned something that is not well it kind of is also a narrative actually come to think of it <laughs> okay so my bandwagon for something new this year is an actual race in the al west okay quick let me explain allow me to explain that we are speaking everyone always is speaking relatively you can only have your own personal lived experience you can only see things through your own eyes and i my eyes grew up in philly as a phillies fan who only paid attention to the national league as such my understanding of um historical al west races really only goes back like four or five years <laughs> and so please do not do not tweet at me to tell me, oh, my God, there was a great ALS race. What are you talking about? That's not new this year. I'm sure there was in the past. Baseball history. It's very long. <laughs> my point is just that I'm not. First of all, we should just say I'm not talking about the race for winning the division, which feels <laughs> inevitably, predictably, constantly, perpetually pretty locked up by the Astros, who uh, finished 16 games ahead of the second place team last year and are predicted to finish nine games ahead of the second place team this year, according to Pakoda projections, and Pakoda projections are always pretty, like, muted. I don't know. Non-extreme. and so Conservative. That's conservative. Yes. That's the word that I was yes. looking for. Thank you. Okay. So what I'm really talking about is the fact that I think the Angels, Mariners, and Rangers, I know, hold on, hold your thoughts about the Rangers, that the Angels, Mariners, and Rangers all have a chance to make the postseason. They are not all going to make the postseason. The math does not work out, even with the expanded postseason. And that that in race will be genuinely interesting because we're talking about uh, four teams in a division, sorry, Oakland, that all think they're going to the postseason. And I enjoy when teams think they're going to the postseason and they simply cannot based on math and only some of them can. That is what sports are supposed to be generally, but uh, tanking has kind of ruined it and just like really good projection systems. So yeah, the Astros are going to be good. 
they're going to be slightly less good, though, because they're going to be missing Jose Altuve for a little while. And also because they lost Justin Verlander, the Cy Young Award winner, and we don't put nearly enough stake in that as a departure this year. They did, however, add Jose Abreu, um, the slugging first baseman. So that'll be good. But I think that... I Okay, okay. tell me why you don't think the Rangers are going to be good, and then we can discuss what, No, no, they're no all I want to say, good. I like this bandwagon because <laughs> I think there will be... I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that it will be a race with the Astros. Uh, I think... They're due to have some down year sometime. They actually had a down year in 2020. We just all forgot about it because they went to the World Series anyway. But, or no, they didn't. They got to the ALCS. No, they didn't. They didn't go to the World Series. They got to the ALCS. But they were still a down year. It could happen again. And they are using a lot of young pitchers onward, onward, onward. So could the Mariners or Angels jump up and get within three games of them and really make it a series at the end? I think yes. I think it will be a very interesting race with those three teams. I think the Rangers are kind of delusional. Uh, I <laughs> I don't think they have the hitters to be a real contender. And maybe they make a bunch of trades in season or maybe a bunch of guys take unexpected steps forward. But between Nathaniel Lowe, Adolis Garcia, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, most of them were pretty good last year and the team was terrible. Uh, I don't think they're going to get a lot more from the offense this year and their pitchers who they acquired pretty much an entire new starting rotation around Martin Perez. They're just not going to be very healthy. Probably they're going to miss a lot of games if history is any indication. And so you are really relying on just a, you know, trying to throw a needle through a keyhole type of scenario here for the Rangers to be a legitimate contender. Maybe they do it and I'm totally wrong, but I I think the main race we are talking about is the angels, the Mariners trying to catch the Astros trying to catch the Astros. I think, first of all, I think it's not super unreasonable for, I don't think they're running back. I think it's, they're not running back exactly the same lineup. I think it's not unreasonable for them to expect both Marcus Semien and Corey Seager to have, better offensive years they were both they both got off to a pretty slow start Corey Seager even if he's not going to bat 400 is certainly going to benefit a little bit from the shift restrictions um I also think that completely overhauling the rotation will actually make a difference starting pitching it goes quite far Jacob deGrom he's very good and again this is a little bit wishful thinking I understand the Rangers are yes okay they are further behind than some of these other teams I I applaud their effort um I also had someone say to me while I was in spring training that Mike Maddox and Bruce Bochy were their two best acquisitions of the winter. So we'll see if that, that is, is true. That is just not true. No. Not <laughs> that would true. be a difficult thing to prove, even if it is if true. If it is true, that's very bad. <laughs> um, I I just, I like, I, I almost think that part of the reason why I think this race is really interesting is because I think these are all teams that we'll look to add at the deadline. I'm I'm thinking about like when you sort of look at the the season from like a 30,000 foot view it's interesting to sort of look at like okay there we're we're at the starting gate now there is a however many teams who are definitely going to make the postseason definitely most likely to make the postseason and we'll be sort of like assessing over the course of the regular season where different pieces fit in whether they should bring guys up whether they need to fill holes then there's all these teams that are like we think we're going to make the postseason and then there's the oakland days and the pirates and (laughs) probably somebody else but i'm not thinking of them right now um the nationals yes uh and obviously the teams in the middle are in some ways the most interesting before we get to september and october um and the al west has three teams in that space who are all, I think, going to be reacting, one, to how they actually play. That's always interesting. How they play actually matters. (laughs) And two, potentially making really interesting moves at the deadline um, based on precisely where they are in the standings. I also just don't really know sort of like what they're all sort of internally thinking. Like we talked about, will the Angels trade Shohei Otani? And it's like, if the Angels are in second, to the Astros, they're not trading Shohei Otani. What if they're in third? What if they're in fourth, but it's all knotted up? Like, I think there's, like, mm-hmm. genuinely a lot of interesting ways that these four teams could order themselves at different points in the season, all of which have an impact on what the decisions they make from there on out. Also, they're just good. I don't know. I just didn't pay enough attention to the AL West, I guess, in prior seasons because I'm like, whoa, great teams. Very fun. I'm excited. 
There you go. An AL West race. An AL West race. An AL West race that is both includes and that includes the Astros, but is interesting even if it doesn't include the Astros. And by include, I mean they are close to the rest of the pack. They will. They might just pull away. They might. I'm 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 excited to to watch that. That's a dumb thing to say. I'm excited to watch all of the races, um, but that one in particular. That one would be That's new, fun. which was that the one, that one would be new. <laughs> I'm I I was actually so okay, like a little behind the scenes of picking a bandwagon. I was trying to like narrow down this idea of like seeing a whole bunch of teams in spring training who all kind of feel like they're on the bubble in this way. And one of the things I was thinking was like, should I just bandwagon the new CBA, which appears to be working? <laughs> um, and no, because that would be boring. <laughs> and also, <laughs> I I retain the right to say something negative about it in the future. But I do actually. <laughs> think that like I don't know there was a great off season the off season was interesting I I hate I hate that the expanded postseason is working but it apparently is because there are a lot of interesting really really interesting races you are going to write something at some point about like the mathematics the mathematics the numbers the analytics if you will around teams on the, the data bubble. The, <laughs> the data, data. <laughs> of teams jumping into the playoffs that were not yes. supposed to be yes yes look um, for it sometime look for it sometime okay that was it that was our very first uh, podcast episode of the bandwagon uh how, how Anna, when are we it? when are we going to come out most weeks it's going to come out on Tuesday every week, just like this week. Going forward, we will be uh, diving into a whole bunch of different topics. We're going to do another sort of predictions e type or projections e or preview preview type episode next week because it'll still be before opening day. And then we're going to dive into some more like uh, bigger topics that we're going to report on, research on. Do the analytics, too, as you will. You, you might say it's inside baseball, but it's going exactly. to be more fun than that it's phrase implies. Um, and in between, you can uh, read everything we write at Yahoo Sports. You can uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Hannah R. Kaiser. He's at Z. Kreiser. They rhyme, but they're not spelled the same. Um, and if you think of what we should call the third attempt of a pickoff throw, please tweet at us there. And if you're still listening, you should definitely subscribe, leave us a five-star review, tell your friend, and we'll be here next week with another episode of The Bandwagon. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.